welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. Really excited to have on the show today, former NBA head strength and conditioning coach, Tim DeFrancesco. He's going to talk to us today about his experience in working with professional athletes, his philosophies on the training and nutrition front. He'll talk about the impacts of sleep or a lack of sleep on recovery and performance, and of course, the dreaded NBA or professional athlete travel schedule. He's also going to share with us his journey to high performance, how he stays fit when traveling on the road, and of course, he'll even share some career advice as well. So, Fantastic interview here with Tim. Um, check out the layups and the performance hacks at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. And I hope you enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Tim DeFrancesco, former head strength and conditioning coach of the Los Angeles Lakers for the past six seasons and founder of TD Athletes Edge, helping athletes get the edge in nutrition, training, and recovery. He's a nationally renowned for his evidence-based and scientific approach to fitness, training, nutrition, and recovery for athletes and fitness enthusiasts. TD, thanks so much for taking the time out today. Mark, I'm thrilled to be on. It's, it's exciting. I can't wait to dive in and, and have a great chat. Fantastic. Well, why don't we just uh, kick things off with perhaps giving the listeners a little bit more background about uh, you know, how you got into strength and conditioning and your path uh, to the Lakers uh, six years ago. So for me, the, the, the path, I, I think, started when I was in undergrad. I was playing basketball at a small Division three school, and I was going to school there for an undergrad in athletic training. And I, I guess this was kind of the, that aha moment for me where the, being a small school, we didn't have a strength coach. And my basketball coach had asked me, he said, look, I need you to prepare our strength and conditioning program for for preseason and during the season for our guys and I, I had never really had experience actually designing programs and then implementing them and and uh, but I said sure why not and I was literally found myself with my dad pounding nails into plywood making plyometric boxes and I had read articles that that would be a, a beneficial tool for for training for basketball and and putting this this stuff together and and I would hate to go back and look at that program because I think it was, it was probably one of the worst created of all time. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, the, the, what ended up happening there is we, we went through training camp preseason and, and I had my own teammates coming up to me saying, Hey, you know what, this, this was, this was awesome. I mean, I, I got more ready for a season than I've ever been before. And, and so that was kind of that one moment where I realized, okay, I was going to school for athletic training, which is a little different, obviously, than there's overlap, but is different than strength and conditioning in the traditional sense. But I, sure. I really started to recognize and fall in love with and be intrigued by the strength and conditioning performance training aspect of it um, at, at that moment. All the while realizing, too, that I, I had this other intrigue and passion for understanding the rehab side of, of preparation and return to play as well. So undergrad finished undergrad and and went from endicott college as uh, graduating with my athletic training license and and degree and then went straight to university of massachusetts lowell for my doctorate in physical therapy and during my time in in pt school i think i was so immersed in that process pt school is an intense journey and and so i i think i was so involved in the rehab aspect of what pt physical therapy curriculum requires and and dives into that i got a little bit away from the performance training side until i then graduated with my dbt got my first job out of school at a small outpatient clinic in on the north shore of boston and i started to realize then that hey you know what the that performance training side of things is is something that I really, really miss and want to get back towards. And it also, I think in the clinic setting, as I explored and worked in the clinic setting for the first time professionally, I, w- I was feeling a little bit limited by what insurance and the clinic setting allowed me to do with clients and patients. Mm. 
So I opened up my own performance training facility along with my brother and, and another partner. And, and we did that on a very small scale initially. And that was the first version, the, the 1.0 version of TD Athletes Edge. And I was working at that in conjunction with working as a full-time physical therapist at the clinic that I was at and just kind of burning the candle at both ends and, sure. and immersing, you know, immersing myself in, in everything that I could, that, that was where I wanted to, to be. And I really fell in love at that point with the performance training and strength and conditioning aspect of, of the profession, but always with a perspective of having my understanding of and knowledge from a physical therapy end of things and being able to apply that to the strength and conditioning work that I was doing. And somewhere within about three years of, of kind of jockeying back and forth between those two environments and, and holding both up in the air at the same time, I got a call from my high school basketball coach and he was taking a job with the Bakersfield Jam, who is was a team in the NBA D League, the, the minor leagues of, of the NBA in Bakersfield, California. And he was taking a position as an assistant coach and explained that he and the head coach were in search of a person to be the athletic trainer and, and strength and conditioning coach for the team. The funny part is he was actually calling on to, to try to get a hold of my brother and see if it would be something he would be interested in. My brother is a was a athletic trainer at the time in the New York Yankees farm system, wow. and and so it it, it, it kind of just sort of worked out to where I was at a great point to where I was ready to leave and move on from the clinic I was at. And my brother was really entrenched in the Yankees organization at that time to where he couldn't really get move move away from that and didn't want to move away from that at the moment. So so basically, I said, you know what, we I've talked to my brother and. It's actually something I would love to do, and um, I, I took that job with the understanding that my main role was at head athletic trainer. But I, I always looked at that role as I, I kind of, in my mind, and the way that I framed my role, it was okay. I need to perform basic athletic training duties as my responsibilities and and my job requirements suggest I need to, but then my real passion and role was, was in my eyes to be a damn good strength coach in that position. And, and so, you know, I did that for two seasons. And one of those seasons we were, the Bakersfield jam were affiliated with the Los Angeles Lakers as, as their affiliate minor league team. And, I had a little bit of interaction with the legendary Gary Vitti, head athletic trainer of the Lakers for 33 years and went to 12 finals and so on and so forth. Incredible. Um, and uh, he, he, I didn't realize this, but I, I was on his radar. He was looking for somebody that had basketball experience in, in, in rehab and training, but also had a physical therapy background to be able to run his the, the weight room um, there and, and be the strength and conditioning coach, but with a physical therapy-based background. And one day after just a few basic phone calls about a few players they had sent down, he sent an email saying, I, I'd like you to interview for, for I'd like you to be the, the main candidate and interview for this, this job for as our head strength and conditioning coach. So Basically, that's that's the step-by-step process of how this came about. I was uh, the way I look at it is I was doing the right stuff and in in the right places around the right people. And and I think if there's something about working your ass off and having good luck come from that 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 I I believe in and and I think all that kind of came together in the in the right timing in the right places. Hundred percent. I mean, it's always amazing how these sort of curious coincidences and just these little moments in our lives that we're unaware of sort of steer us in a certain direction. It sounds like your uh, college coach there had a um, fortuitous uh, direction yeah. in your career, which is which is cool. Now, if we look into when you first got into the NBA, what are a few things that that surprised you, maybe in terms of whether it's the therapy side of things or movement side of things, or even on the training with uh, with the players? The from from that end of it, the, some of the surprising stuff was I, I think a lot of people, myself included, having 
prior to getting my experience in that environment were, it, it, are under this assumption that these guys are all just because they are high paid, high level athletes and they have nightly sports center highlights that they're putting out there that they're really all tuned up and moving well and, and their, their bodies are being, are finely tuned by the time they get to the NBA, which is just not the case. So many of these guys have, as, as what I noticed right away is <laughs> they have this ability to be, be able to put out this sports center highlight whenever they, the opportunity arises on the court, but the ability to have be prepared to do that on, on a nightly basis over and over and over and over again at, for a career is not necessarily there. And many of these guys have not been brought through the basic skills and curriculums of how to operate in a weight room in, in a fundamental, safe and, and efficient, effective way. And, and many of these guys don't move very well in through fundamental movement patterns and, and, have have a they, they look great when they're out there on the court but then when you really peel back some layers it's there's some limitations and deficiencies that are commonly found in these guys that their athleticism their raw athleticism can sometimes end up covering up for yeah that's something that i'm always amazed by just yeah, the sheer athleticism how it can overcome uh some of these real imbalances or even right. for a lot of them not right. even having to pay attention to some of these things like you might have to in say football or hockey where you just need to train um yeah now, are there certain you know from that thirty thousand foot view i know it's always difficult to pin down specifics especially in a podcast but uh, you know common areas of deficiency or imbalance whether it's you know young basketball players coming to the league or even you know junior basketball players that uh, are areas of concern that they should think about ankles hips and core. So th these guys are most of the time very long levered guys. They're very tall and their spines are long. Their leg and their limb length, lever length is, is long. And so ankles, because of the fact that these guys tend to play, basketball players tend to play basketball for their whole career and, and tend to be wearing basketball shoes even when they're not playing these guys are oftentimes kind of locked up or jammed up in, in dorsiflexion. And that can be obviously an issue all the way up the chain. If the ankle's not moving right, the knee has to be put in different places and then the hip changes and so on and so forth. So ankle mobility is, is oftentimes an issue. I think hip mobility and hip strength is oftentimes an, an, an issue. And, and the, the hip strength, issue comes into play where there's so much single leg explosion and landing deceleration acceleration stuff going off of one leg in in this game at such a high pace that you better have strong big and small hip muscles and sometimes again a guy can make it all the way to the nba without ever having to address some underlying hip weaknesses and asymmetries because they've been performing i mean they've been putting the ball in the hole or doing whatever it is their skill set allows them to do at a high level and they just keep, keep advancing to the next level and the next level and on until finally they're at the NBA. And once you get to that level, these things finally do begin to be exposed and, and the susceptibilities become an issue. So the other piece being the fact of the matter is for myself at five foot 10 or 11, depending on the day, holding a plank, for instance, is not that big of a deal for 30, 60 seconds, whatever it is. These guys have much longer spines and, and levers to, to hold up through their core musculature, and, and, and so that's something that really needs to be dialed back and, and start from the ground up, sometimes literally and figuratively, and... and really worked on and, and assessed based off of the fact that, that this is not just your average client who's coming in off of working at a desk job and they're five foot whatever and, and they can jump right into X, Y, and Z core exercise. 100%. Now, if you find players that have, um, you know, the tighter ankles, a stiff T-spine, etc., you know, you recently wrote a blog post uh, which had a great title, Better Rack Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. 
Yeah. Are, there, are there some modifications around certain exercises or regressions, lateralizations that you might use with some, some players so you can get certain lifts in without uh, hindering you know, movement patterns, etc.? Definitely. I, I think from if we kind of go by movement pattern and you look at first the squat, so that tends to be a challenging movement pattern for these guys to throw a bar on their back or on their front. And I, I would personally tend to, if I was doing a barbell squat, do more of a front squat-based squat with with most of our guys just because of the loading on the on the spine that be, can be created from a, a back barbell back squat but i tend to then along those lines find even more benefit in going towards the goblet squat um pattern and and exercise especially as a way to use as a warm-up and a and a way to groove the squat pattern before we move in it move them into maybe a, a front squat bar flat barbell or a cambered front squat type pattern and, and really groove the the hip mobility and the hip strength through that pattern is 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 a way to 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 do that and then i think that the the other uh, uh, another thing to think about with these guys from the core aspect of training of of the various plank positions and and core training approaches that, that are out there is just shortening that lever. So like a side plank, I, I will often start guys with knees bent instead of having a seven foot frame stretched out elbow to toe, it, you know, and expecting that to be completely done perfectly right off the bat on the first day. So I, I think that that's also something where you can think about that kind of thing. And then one of the things that I found from the lunge patterns is, is actually introducing isometric holds in, in various range points in, in the range of, of the lunge position. And, and so it, sometimes because of the ankle mobility and the long lever leg length and, and the, the hip mobility issues, the lunge pattern can be very challenging for these guys combined with maybe some core deficiency. And, and so being able to get them into a comfortable range of what their lunge pattern allows them to do and then work on some body weight and then weighted isometric holds in those positions and some very small short range rep repetitions as well is, is a way that I've been able to help guys to progress into a more traditional lunge pattern that's loaded the way that we all consider it to be uh, where we want to go with that. Yeah, that's uh, really insightful because I think oftentimes, especially with, again, other sports or watching CrossFit advertisements, we're always thinking of these movements to create more power uh, right. And athletes, whereas these guys are already, a lot of them so explosive and powerful that a lot of it comes back to just reestablishing some of the movements and getting them uh, moving better. Now, if we shift over to some older players, uh, veterans, if we talk longevity, uh, yeah. you know, how does training you know change there? Is it monitoring training loads? Is it a shift in programming? Uh, can you give us a few insights? I, I think that the, I mean, I had, the, especially early in my time with the Lakers, I had some older guys. I had... Kobe in the twilight of his career, and I had Steve Nash, and and Pau Gasol was he, he's still going, but he he was he had already put in a number of years, and so there was a number of guys that I had the opportunity to be faced with how to address having these guys that had a lot of miles on their body, and I I think those are where the 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 details come into to play heavily, and and so for those guys they typically recognize and, and are willing to be open to recognizing the beyond training ways of, of keeping their body right. So the, the sleeping, the nutrition, the hydration, that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think from a training standpoint, to answer your question specifically, it's, it's yeah, you just, you're essentially now modifying some of the, the, you try to keep the intensities up, but maybe the volume is, is minimized at, at time or, or modified at times based off of uh, younger guys who can just take on more workloads throughout a given day. But at the same time, I, I do think that you, you, what you don't want to do is kind of coddle and, and, and steer away from getting an, a necessary level of volume of work on, on these guys' bodies. I, I with those guys, what you have to keep in mind, and really with, with any athlete, but it's, it becomes magnified with the older athlete is the support structures of, of the, the athlete. So the, the bones, tendons, ligaments, and the muscles, of course, but, 
but the bones, tendons, and ligaments are these structures that have been really taking a brunt of the, the miles that they've been putting on them over the years. And so to be able to support those, you have to put stimulus and load through those support structures. People oftentimes forget that bone and even tendon and ligament respond to mechanical resistance load in a kind of different format than muscles do, but they respond to those loads nonetheless by getting stronger. Gotcha. And so when I, I kind of cringe when I hear, okay, with an older athlete, you want to put them in the water. With an older athlete, you want to take the impact and the, and the forces off of them, all that kind of stuff. I, I know that you always have to, each person is a case-by-case -case basis, but the, you have to be creative of finding ways to make sure that they're getting the right levels of mechanical resistance, stimulus, and load to be able to continue to have those support structures be robust enough to keep up with the same re requirements and the same levels of, of game-type workload that they were being asked to do when they were 19. So, For so sure. I think that that's, that's really important to consider with the older athlete. And In fact, I, I think that, to me, it, it becomes even more important to have consistent and, and progressive resistance training involved in an older athlete's program, maybe even more important so than, than with a, a younger athlete who could, for a few years, probably get away with, without doing it. I wouldn't recommend that, but they probably could more so than an older athlete. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, you mentioned Steve Nash. Obviously, working with him with the Lakers uh, at Canada Basketball, he's our general manager. And of course, when I think of Steve Nash, I always think of nutrition and his amazing um, yeah. stance on nutrition over the years. And I'd just like to start off with, you know, what have you noticed in terms of the changes in the NBA over your, you know, six uh, seasons, um, and even more so working with basketball players? What are the changes that you noticed on the nutrition side of things? I was amazed when I came into the league and I took a look around at what was being put on quote unquote the training table as far as you know the the options and and what they were being guided towards it especially in the NBA it, it's a fast-paced rapid changing schedule there's lots of food on the go it's not the easiest place by any means to get regular spreads of high quality nutrient intense food in front of everybody but there was more of the fast food junk food stuff being uh, provided and available than i anticipated and it, it was not uncommon to walk in to a in some cases it still isn't in the nba but to walk into a locker room prior to game time and have guys feeling like, look, I'm starving right now. What are my options? I'm going to grab a ball boy and have him run down to the vendor on the concourse and grab me a basket of chicken fingers and french fries. Yeah. And the, look, I mean, the, the bottom line is you, you got to put that into context. Consider the day that an NBA player goes through every game day, and that's 82 times, and that's just the regular season. That doesn't include the preseason or playoffs. So the game day usually will start with them getting up at 8 a.m. and heading to the gym for a shoot-around or morning practice session. Then they will go, so they'll have breakfast when they arrive there. They'll go through a shoot-around or walk-through type environment with, on the court and might do some stuff in the weight room as well. And then by noon, they're grabbing lunch on the way out of the facility and, and heading home for a nap. They'll nap from, say, noon to three or noon to four and then they'll head to the arena and now it's four thirty, five o'clock and the last time they ate was noon they're constantly just they're just burning through calories at a rate that that is not something you would do if you were working at a desk job by any means and so they're getting to the arena they're going to do a pregame preparation series of, of basketball and, and activation work in the weight room and then now it's like six o'clock. The last time they ate was noon. I mean, anybody would be starving. So sure. that's that's where I'm. It, it was surprising to me, but then when I realized the context of what's going on through these guys' days, is 
I, I definitely took a big, put a big emphasis on what I could do to help put better options around these guys for this type of thing. And, and to just, you're not gonna, in that position, you're not going to change every single player's eating habits, but the more you can put better options around them, the, the more they have the ability to make better choices if they choose to do so. And, and so that was, that was definitely a big emphasis of mine to, to be able to kind of improve that situation and that scenario during, during my, my time there. Yeah, and definitely in following your work, I mean, obviously nutrition is such a key aspect of the therapy yeah. side and training side, which is phenomenal. Um, what are a couple of things, you know, when you're trying to lay the foundation of, you know, building solid nutrition? I love that idea of kind of drip feeding changes in, especially at that level. Um, yeah. What are a couple of things that might be a top priority for you when you're starting to make those changes for players? I like to start with very, very easy and basic small changes, and, and that comes in the form of understanding what oils and what fats or, or oils that are in foods that are sneaky or they don't, you don't even realize are there. So uh, by just becoming aware of the toxic or inflammatory oils that exist in, in many products that are marketed as very healthy, such as the vegetable, the canola, corn oil, soy oil, even the smaller, lesser known oils of cottonseed, um, sunflower and safflower oil, those oils can be something that we don't even realize how much we're consuming of them because they're really put into many, many products that are actually marketed as healthy. And, and over time, they can create this low-grade level of inflammation throughout different areas in our body. And it's obviously not for an athlete a good thing. It's not a good thing for any human being. And, and so the beautiful part about making a change with those is all you have to do is just be willing to recognize and look for where those oils exist and, and then avoid them and then know what oils are healthy such as the olive oils the uh, the coconut oil pastured or or grass-fed butter and other healthier more sturdy fats like that so the the easy part about making that change is that nobody that i know of anyway says Oh man, I just I love this product because I love how the vegetable oil in this product tastes. For sure. So 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 it's not like you're asking them to remove something that they're just craving. They they it's just in there. They don't even know it. So so that can really make a big impact over the course of a long period of time by making that small change, and then also being aware of the amount of sugars that we're taking in is is oftentimes a lot of athletes especially are guided towards saying uh it's okay you're gonna burn it off you can have a candy bar every other you know after every practice or whatever it is and you can get away with that kind of stuff having a couple of sodas and, and this other stuff but realistically what that's doing again is pumping up your inflammation levels in your body it's making those support structures have a hard time of for, uh, for uh, recovering and staying healthy and robust, and it also doesn't do anything helpful for your energy levels in terms of if you're relying primarily on sugar for your energy source then, or carbohydrate slash sugar for your energy source, then you're probably used to being on this kind of roller coaster of spikes and crashes of energy. So being able to slowly, gradually, responsibly minimize, step away from a high sugar intake and then enter in some more healthy fats so that your body can have an alternative energy source is, is something that initially to, to consider whether you're an athlete or whether you're someone just trying to be healthy as a human being. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? How ubiquitous the omega six, you know, vegetable oh, oils, man. which uh, you know, industrial seed oils, really is what they are. And of course, you start looking at them, packages of everything. I mean, sunflower oil is basically in virtually anything that comes in a box or bag or or whatnot. And like you said, that inflammation, the blood sugar response is uh, um, is definitely something that can hinder recovery and performance. And if we kind of flip over to a lighter side, I know the the peanut butter and jelly explosion, the PB and J explosion, yeah. <laughs> the NBA. If we're talking blood sugars here. Um, yeah. Could you could you comment a little bit of that? How prevalent was that with you guys? I mean, I know it's been a big thing, especially even Golden State. I think you know some yeah. players were threatening to not even play if they couldn't get their PB and J at halftime <laughs> or for the game. I I was I was really taken aback by how powerful the the peanut butter and jelly movement is uh, in in culture is in the NBA, but. When you break it down and you realize, look, this is a comfort food. It's an easy, digestible 
and comforting food to eat on the go. You're constantly on the go. It's giving you comfort. It's giving you a, a feeling of uh, ability to get so, uh, fight off hunger and feel like, okay, I'm not, at least I'm not eating a box of French fries. And, and so <laughs> it, it, it definitely, I, I learned pretty quickly in my MBA career that <laughs> there's only certain battles that are worth fighting. I was going to say, uh, picking your battles must be a strategic... Uh, massive, yeah. massive. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, I just, I basically realized that the PB&J battle was not one that I was even remotely going anywhere near fighting. Although what I did try to do was, and was, was somewhat successful with many players was uh, at least having them be provided with peanut butter and jelly sandwich options that were made with lower sugar peanut butter that didn't have any of those toxic oils in it. The jellies being, or and jams being lower sugar versions and, with, with the bread, I mean, it'd be great if every guy would eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a sprouted grain bread, like Ezekiel bread or something, but it's just not going to happen. You, 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 this, a soft sourdough bread is the closest I could get to a, a, a beneficial option on, on the bread. And, and then you just say, okay, well, the, there could be many worse things that they could be having. And then making sure that, again, around other corners, they, they have other good options that they're making up for having a PB&J here and there is not going to break the bank. For sure. I mean, I think that's a great comment, especially for young trainers, therapists, docs. I mean, it's this idea of massaging that food to get it closer to what you'd like, but then, of course, picking your battles, which it sounds like you've done so expertly. Um, now, as we shift over to, you know, it's a long season. You'd mentioned before, even with not even including playoffs, you know, how does supplementation fit into a long season? I know it's individualized in terms of the players, but are there certain themes, again, uh, in the NBA that we see uh, with players, yeah, I, I think it is like you said. It is, it's definitely customized and individualized. And and what we tried to do, working with Dr. Kate Shanahan, who is somebody that I recommend anybody look at her resources and her content and her knowledge sharing is in the areas of she's a medical doctor who specializes in understanding the metabolic and health and wellness areas of, of how to use nutrition for being a more powerful human being, essentially. And, and so through her help as a, as a consultant and nutrition consultant in with the Lakers, we were able to really look at players' blood panels and, and look at where specific deficiencies lined up and, and then realize, okay, realistically, this person, we always try to take a, a real food approach first, but not every guy is going to eat lots of kale. So, so some, some will increase their kale intake if you say that's what they should do, but not all will. And, and so, and in that case, you just need to say, what is the area of deficiency? And then what is the nutrient or mineral or vitamin in, in supplement form that in the best supplement form that we can get to them if they're not willing to make a whole or real food choice uh, surrounding that nutrient, vitamin, or mineral. So I, I think the common ones that we would come across, it, it, it's, um, you know, vitamin D is, is certainly one. And I, I think probably as usual in our industry, we, in the last 10 years, we've overreacted to, it's, it's definitely an important vitamin to have requisite levels topped off at. But I think we may have just gone a little overboard in terms of how much we need to be over supplementing and, and that kind of thing. Although, you know, so I, I think with that one is something we always were aware of. We, we tried not to over supplement on that. And then the magnesiums, some of these other zincs and, and other potassium, smaller nutrient mineral vitamins that, that were, oftentimes overlooked just because they didn't necessarily have a widely balanced diet from many different sources of real foods. And, and so those were a couple that, that stand out for me. And, and it was, 
it was definitely something where we we didn't necessarily have like a say like a set series of of, of supplements that every person would have it, it, we tried to keep it as customized as possible yeah that's terrific i mean we recently had dr kate shanahan on the show and i know uh you know, you've obviously worked really closely with her and, and that sort of food first approach of being able to get the nutrients with what you're eating is, is huge. And then of course when you do supplement, just as you mentioned, those you know, getting the testing done, really personalizing it, working with some yeah. of the experts so you can really figure out what the heck people need, uh, versus right. as you mentioned, you touched on there, kind of just saying, Okay, we're just gonna overdose everyone with vitamin D because it's low. Uh, without right. really asking why it's low in the first place. So I love that. Right. Uh, great, yeah. great comment there. Um yeah. Now, if we stay on this idea of long seasons, I know travel is a huge part of that. You guys are on the road all the time, has oh, ma- major impacts on sleep. Can you can you go down that road for us and share how you know lack of sleep or the changing schedule impacts you guys? Travel was the by, by far by far for me personally the most difficult thing to be able to acclimate to in in the MBA environment. And (laughs) I'm looking around at myself feeling like, oh my God, how am I going to peel myself out of bed now? And I'm not the one that played 35 NBA minutes the night before. So I I think that the the travel piece, people see the games on TV, but they don't necessarily realize the number of time zones that these players have just crossed in the number of days in between the, the last game that they played. And if there even was a day in between, in the toll that that takes to 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 travel, and I, I think many people kind of say, "Yeah, but but Tim, I mean, you guys in that environment are staying in five star hotels, and you're on charter flights, which is absolutely true." And I was always grateful to have those accommodations. But the bottom line is, what I noticed, what I learned in terms of what how my body responded to that is, a flight is a flight and a hotel is a hotel and at the end of the day is it nice to have those higher end accommodations yeah it is but that my the the human body doesn't necessarily know any different for all it knows is it's being it's like having a snow globe flipped upside down and and um having all the 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 pieces be floating all around at different points is kind of what you start to feel like during the season and and so the, the sleep thing is massive. I, I think that the, some of the things that we always try to, to allow for the guys to, we recognize where and when these guys were getting large periods of their sleep from, oftentimes from 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. And you're not going to change the NBA schedule. You're not going to change the fact that NBA games don't start till 7.30 p.m. and get over at 10.30, 11 at night, and then you have to travel. You're not going to change that. So then you, you start to build your schedule around these periods where you know you can get positive, um, larger, ben- beneficial periods of sleep. And, and you just you, you, you try to educate the players as far as being aware of right before they fall asleep if they've got the blue light screens, which they all do right in front of them with their phones or, or laptop or Twittering, Instagramming. All yeah, that. I mean, yeah. all that stuff is just, if, if you're not giving yourself, you're letting some of the air out of the balloon right before you go to bed and you're just going right up to the point where you're literally falling asleep with your phone in your, your hands, then you're just going to have a hard time getting into this really restful state of sleep. And so trying to educate them on that and trying to give them uh, things like showing them how to turn the, the night shift feature on their, on their iPhones and, and things along those lines, they're fairly skilled at being able to nap. And that's something as an NBA player that you realize you have no choice but to pick up that skill and to, to be able to recharge in whether it's a 20-minute or a, a 20 to 30 minute quick nap and, and, and being able to take advantage of those wherever they come up in the schedule is, is big as well. But and on the, a, on the napping front yeah. there, Tim, if I could just jump in, is there a certain yeah. amount of, like, you know, do most guys like a 90 minute nap? Do some guys stick to that sort of 20, 30 minute, like you mentioned, or is it just a function of, of what you can fit in if you're at home versus on the road? I think most guys in the NBA are probably just taking however many minutes of nap as they can get when they get them. 
And if gotcha. you were breaking it down to really an ideal, we, we, we recently, my brother Scott and I recently did a podcast on, on our podcast, Edge Factor Radio, with Nick Littlehales. And, and Nick is a real, I mean, if, if you look at sleep science experts, he's, he's really peeled back so many of the layers in that area and done a great job of, of presenting it. And, and so I, I think Nick would talk to you about these 20 minute kind of recharge periods that are totally, some people have referred to them as the NASA naps and, and even some people to the point of shooting a quick espresso, taking a 20 minute recharge nap and, and having that espresso weight, you know, be kicking in as you're waking up, that kind of thing. So I, I think if you were really getting nitty gritty about it and you have a player who is saying, hey, I want to do everything exactly as best I can, um, then you, you would start implementing some of those those naps and you would actually design some of the practice schedules to be later in the day, even later than 11 o'clock in the morning, going towards like in the after, early to late afternoons. That's, that mimics more of the game time, allows them to be recharging and recovering during the day, um, given that their work schedule forces them to be engaged at night. So... There's just you just have to again pick your battles on what guys are willing to do and 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 so that's that's always something you just the the low hanging fruit is give guys a sleep mask and let them try to get as much sleep as they can wherever they can get it and try to they're constantly in a sleep deficit so it's it's it it kind of becomes a little bit of a triage scenario based off the NBA schedule. For sure, and I think that's a great insight for you know regular folks who are working long hours or executives or whatever it is, because most people these days are sort of lacking sleep. So that idea of looking over your schedule and finding these little moments where you can maybe get ten or twenty minutes, as you mentioned, you know, you get that increase in alpha or theta brainwave activity. All of a sudden, you're getting this recharge um, when most people think that you know, well, that's not very long, fifteen or twenty minutes. So, so really great insights in there. That for yourself when you're on the road, if we shift gears here a little bit, how do you you know do you have any uh, exercise strategies or things that you like to do when you're on the road to try to get some movement in. I imagine you're really busy, obviously, and throughout an NBA season, but are there little hacks that you use to kind of keep yourself moving and keep yourself healthy uh, on all this uh, heavy travel? Yeah, I, I definitely became pretty skilled at being able to go into any hotel gym and, and just get a quick 15-minute session. So, um, you know, the, uh, the, the that that was something that, was just, I, I realized there was no way that I could really put together an hour-long full-on workout based off the schedule. And, and I, I think that being able to kind of get some high-intensity interval-type training work a couple times a week combined with another approach that I would often use is kind of chunking out workouts throughout the day. So I might say I want – I would line up three exercises, keep it very simple, and, and say I want this many total reps of, of, of this exercise done by the end of the day. And, and in between my, my time and the fact that I would do work in a weight room allowed me to kind of just slide in reps wherever I could and get a set here, get a set there. Is, look, is it maybe ideal? Maybe, maybe not for if you're setting yourself out for some specific body composition or, or training performance goal. But for what I was trying to accomplish and, and at least staying reasonably sharp from a physical standpoint, that, that was a couple of tricks that I used to, to make sure that I got everything I needed. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing too, how much, uh, you know, progress you can maintain or even make for a lot of people who are again, busy travelers or what, or whatnot with even those sort of smaller workouts, especially the hit type training. And as you mentioned, kind of chunking stuff up, that's a yeah. really great way to do it. Right. If you, if you're just stuck for time, cause I know that first buy-in for a lot of people is even just saying, Oh, I don't have enough time in the day. But if, if folks like yourself are carving out, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes to do a lot of good work, then, then for the rest of us, it must be uh, pretty good too. Right. Definitely. Um, now a little bit more on the personal side of things, you know, Tell us a bit about your morning routine, whether in season, off season. You know, do you start the day with with coffee? Is it movement? Or what does your morning look like? For me, coffee for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I, that's that's uh, that's absolutely the, the first stop on the on the train, and and so I I like to be able to have sit, have a cup of coffee, and kind of think through what the schedule of the day does look like i've i've recently started to do 
some of the five minute journaling. So that, that would typically be something that I would put in at the end of the day um, and prior to going to bed. But then just kind of thinking about being able to be not engaged immediately in work type activities, but just to, to kind of lay out the day in, in my head or on paper is something that I have, have always found to be helpful. And then, and then I do normally try to just knock off several two minute or less emails that have piled up in the inbox and, and get those done and, and save any longer email dialogues for a later blocking or, or chunking type period that I can get those done with. But I, I, so I, I think that those are for me, some of the things that it, you know, making sure that I eat, I, I prefer to eat something within 30 minutes of waking up as well. And, and just sometimes the, for me, it's a little bit of a routine to, to do that, to actually making it a routine that I enjoy is, is cooking a quick breakfast for myself and my wife and, and our, our 11 month old daughter. And, and so that, that's kind of the routine for me. And, and then I tend to be a midday to afternoon workout type person. And, and I just know that about myself is, is when I operate physically best. And, and so I tend to line up my movement and, and routine for, for that. Now, the thing that I always keep in mind, especially when I travel though, is I tend to do an, a, a movement or warm up or actual workout session first thing in the morning. Cause on those travel days, the day can just get away from you. Nice. Yeah. So prioritizing that when you're traveling. Yeah. Awesome, Tim. Well, you know, recently I know you moved away from the uh, the Lakers. There, what's uh, what's the next evolution for uh, for yourself and Athletes Edge? It's exciting. I am really fortunate to have been able to had have had a experience like the one I did with the Lakers. I had six great seasons there, and really from a experience, exposure, credibility standpoint, was able to build a a a lot into who I am and, and what I'm able to do from here. And, and so now I get this opportunity to really zero in on TD Athletes Edge and, and what we can do from that platform and the anywhere from being able to build out camps, clinics, and workshops for the general population athlete to the high-level athlete to the industry professional in the sports medicine and performance training industries is is our big things on our priority list right now. Also working on developing an online training platform and working really hard to be able to, to continue to evolve a program that we're currently offering, which is an insider mentorship program for anybody looking to seeking guidance or experience sharing with myself in terms of developing and and navigating their their own career, whether it's in this industry or not. And I've I've been really excited about where that program is is headed and what it's been able to accomplish in in its early stages so far. And um, so those are, are a couple of things that we're working on and, and constantly working on putting out great content in, in different locations. And, and, uh, so, so that's, uh, those are some of the things that we're, we're working on and excited to be able to evolve even more from as, as time goes on. Phenomenal. That's some, some exciting stuff and I'm a huge fan of your work. So we'll definitely keep, uh, keep track of all that and dovetailing with what you just said there. We have a lot of young, you know, strength coaches, therapists, docs listening in. So, you know, TD, if you had to go back 10 years and give yourself some advice, what would it be? I think the, the advice would be be willing to take risks and understand that even in the most ideal work setting as you're climbing the ladder to where your ultimate, as I would call it, career Super Bowl is, whatever that is, 
there's going to be some sacrifices and for lack of a better term, what I would call a, a number of, of shit sandwiches that you're, you're going to have to be willing to, to go through and to eat, so to speak, in, in, in terms of getting to where you want to go. It's not just going to be a nice, comfortable path all the way. And I, I think just being aware that those are going to exist and then being able to look at those sacrifices and those tough, challenging moments in, in different stops along your career in the early stages, especially as what can you learn from those? So, okay, look, there's no, there's no perfect scenario right off the bat out of school where you just step into this job and it's your, your, your end game career Super Bowl and it's all perfect. There's going to be these challenges and these hurdles that are put in front of you. What can I learn from these? How can I adapt and, and, and actually become better from these challenges? And, and anticipate them and not you, you'll never be able to look in a crystal ball and say what they are and know when they're coming but anticipate that they are going to come and and so I, I think that's that's where i would would go with that advice great metaphor and definitely agree 100 percent uh, yeah td really appreciate you taking the time out today i know you're a very busy guy where can people keep up with your work and stay connected with you on uh, social media our website, www.tdathletesedge.com, is, is a platform where you can see where to contact us, but also see a lot of our great content put out on there. I'm very active on Twitter, at TD Athletes Edge, very active on Instagram, at TD Athletes Edge. Along those lines, if, if there's questions or inquiries related to the insider mentorship program the one of the great places to contact me about that is through the the uh, dm a direct message on instagram or through info at td athletes edge so the the those those are a couple of places we're also on facebook we're on snapchat and we are our, our brand new podcast is something that we're very excited my brother scott de francesco is coordinating and, and hosting that as, as I'm sort of along for the ride and, and chipping in as, as, uh, as, as we go with that as well. And, and that is Edge Factor Radio. That can be found on Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes. So we really enjoy people not only obviously finding us there, but also communicating with us there. We, we want to interact with our followers and, and be able to help. That's what that's what TD Athletes Edge is about. Everybody is is looking for an edge, whatever it might be, whatever level they're at, and that's what we're here to do is help them solve that puzzle. So come find us. Come talk to us. Awesome, TD. Yeah, we're going to add all those links uh, and a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast, so check those out. Thanks, TD, for coming on today, and thanks for everyone else uh, listening in. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. You can use the hashtag drbubspp. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes, head over to iTunes and subscribe and give us your rating of the show. Thanks again for listening in and we'll see you all next week. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.